Good morning, friends. What a privilege to be in God's church with God's people. And uh, Tammy, thank you for saying, um, not only reading the scripture, but taking a moment to share your heart. Um, I am convinced more and more there are no small people and no small services in the kingdom of God. So whatever you have to give, come and lay it at the foot of the cross and watch the Lord use it and multiply it. So thank you for saying what you did, and we expect more readers. So, well, let me um, just first thank you for your prayers and kind notes for me. Um, I lost uh, a man who was my elder brother um, very, very suddenly over the last week, and we actually decided to take his body to do a service here and take his body to New Jersey where his home church was and where our roots are in the Northeast. And uh, by God's grace, it was a whirlwind and very, very challenging, but the Lord enabled us to honor um, him and to glorify the Lord. So thank you for your prayers. And even now our hearts are heavy as we think about our dear sister Susan and we give praise for Douglas. Um, There's so much, right? going on in our lives that's filled with sadness and turmoil. Um, You know, I feel like Jacob of old, sometimes Jacob in the Old Testament had this line that I love. He says, everything is against me. But then the Lord intervenes and the Lord holds us when we feel like everything is against us. The last time I was with you, we talked about this phrase, hallowed be your name. And what that really meant as we think about prayer for the new year is this, is to say or to pray God's name be hallowed means, Lord, you be glorified in everything, everything in our lives, the good, the bad, the ugly, everything. And To remind you, everything that the Lord brings into our lives sovereignly is an answer to that prayer. Not just the good things, not just the easy things, not just the comfortable things, but even the hard things. I read this story or illustration some weeks ago as I've been preparing on these messages on prayer, and I want to share this with you as I begin. It's told by an old evangelist who said, I have a friend who in a time of business recession lost his job, a sizable fortune, and his beautiful home. To add to his sorrow, his precious wife died. Yet he tenaciously held to his faith, the only thing that he seemed to have left. One day when he was out walking, uh, he stopped to watch some men who were doing stonework at a large church. One of them was meticulously chiseling a triangular piece of rock. He walked up to them and he asked, where are you going to put that? And the workman said, do you see, sir, that little opening up there near the spire? Well, I'm shaping this stone down here so that it will fit up in there. And tears filled my friend's eyes As he walked away for the Lord had spoken to him through this laborer whose words gave new meaning to his troubled situation. Friends, through everything that happens in our lives, God is actually chiseling you down here 
to place you somewhere up there for His glory and your good. Make no mistake. Every chiseling, every pruning is for God's purposes for us. It is. He knows. He knows the beginning from the end. He loves you and He loves uh, His purposes are, are sure. Um, a famous author named Malcolm Mugridge says this, contrary to Contrary to what might be expected, I look back on experiences that at the time seemed especially desolating and painful with particular satisfaction. Do you hear that? With satisfaction. Indeed, I can say with complete truthfulness that everything I have learned in my 75 years in this world, everything that has truly enhanced and enlightened my experience has been through affliction and not so much through the happinesses. And so you see, God is using everything, my friends. And so when we pray, Lord, your name be hallowed, what it's saying is, Lord, you take glory in all, all things, everything that comes into our lives. And he sovereignly brings it so that he will be glorified. So today, as we come to this little phrase in verse 10 of Matthew 6, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven I'm placing it in the context of all our sufferings and trials and difficulties. And today, even, uh, you know, Jay and I last night, as we were thinking about Susan, we were part of the same small group years ago here at this church. We have a special affection for Susan and those three children. And my heart is even heavy as I think, Lord, what is your will? Um, But in the midst of that, I know that this is not it. This is not the end. There is another whole world, another whole kingdom that is awaiting us. And so I want you to hear this. There is a king, and it's not you. You're not on the throne. You're not in control. You don't know everything. You are weak, but there is a king, and you're not it. And there is a true kingdom, and this is not it over here. We might think that we're in full control, but we're not. Let me pray and ask the Lord's blessing. Lord, I ask that you will cover us as we think through this passage and this phrase in particular, that your kingdom would come. And Lord, we pray that you would give us new eyes to see Jesus and the kingdom and the world to come. And rather not focus and be in misery as we think that this is all there is. There is so much more. I pray that you would give us eyes to see your Son. And it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You know, why did I say that? Well, there is a king, a true king, and you're not it. It's because we often have mistaken identity. We tend to think, oh, I've got it. I'm in control. I've got all the corners covered, and I've got all my ducks in a row. That is not true. We are not the king. God is king himself. And so when we pray this part of the Lord's prayer, you know what God has in mind, what the Lord has in mind? It's that the full reign of the true king would come. That the full reign of the true king would come. And that's not us. And this is not it. I've shared with you, some, many of you guys before, I know there's a lot of new people here too, I got the privilege to serve as a chaplain in a hospital at a Trauma One hospital in New York, outside of New York City, Hackensack, New Jersey. 
for a year and a half. It was one of the most difficult things that I ever did, but I've always wanted to serve as a chaplain and learn what that was like. And so you'd run to the emergency room as uh, the, the, the vehicle comes in, and sometimes it was just horrendous, you know? Um, but one of the funny things that used to happen while I served at Hackensack University Medical Center was I would often go into the rooms and they would think I was the doctor. I was just an Indian guy in a suit. But they would often say, hello, doctor. And I would say, no, I'm the chaplain. And it was like, no, no, I know you're the doctor. <laughs> no matter how many times I tried to tell them. And I would often say, I am not qualified. I cannot do anything. I cannot prescribe stuff to you. I am not the doctor. The doctor's coming in. I'm here to pray with you. And you see, what this prayer is saying is that the true king is on his throne. And it's not you. And the true kingdom is coming. And so my question to you to begin is, do you pray that? Do you want that? Or do you want to stay on the throne and pretend that you're in control and that you're the king? Listen to Revelation 11. I'm going to read a number of passages from Isaiah and Revelation today. Just so appropriate for this topic. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. I'm going to give you four ideas or four points very quickly. The first is the Lord God is the true king and his anointed Jesus is coming back. He is the true king. Secondly, it's a totally different king and a totally different kingdom. Thirdly, it's a totally different outcome and reality. And fourthly, this kingdom that we await comes only when the king comes. It's not separate from the king. The kingdom comes with the king. So first again, the Lord God of the Bible is the true king. Two, a totally different king and kingdom. Thirdly, a totally different outcome. And fourthly, this kingdom comes when the king comes. So let me begin by this, the Lord is king. You know, all throughout the scriptures, we are told that the Lord God is king. The Lord of the Bible is the king over all the earth. Listen to Psalm 10, verse 16. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from His land. Psalm 47, verse 2. For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. Psalm 103. The Lord has established His throne in the heavens and His kingdom rules over all. Why am I saying this? I think so often people tend to, to look to others or you know, kings and presidents and prime ministers and politics and they even try with their money to create their own little kingdoms, right? As if we can stay protected and we can do all that we need to do. That is not true. The Bible declares that the Lord God is King of all. He rules with a mighty hand over everything and no one can overthrow this King. No one can stop His plans. Did you hear me? God has a plan and no one can thwart His plans. Psalm 21, I'm sorry, Psalm 2, verses 1-6. to 6, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? 
The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and His anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He, verse 4, sits in the heavens, laughs. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then He will speak to them in His wrath and terrify them in His fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Now let me come to Isaiah for a moment. I mentioned that I'm going to share several passages from Isaiah. Listen, Isaiah only knew one king for the most part during his time as prophet or during his life existence. And that was a, name, a man named King Uzziah. But Isaiah was given by God a vision of the real and true king, even though... Listen to who Uzziah was. King Uzziah of Judah had reigned from the time he was 16 for 52 years. So it's the only king that most of the people of God knew or had. He was the only king that Isaiah had mostly known. But as soon as King Uzziah dies, and notice God's timing, it was immediately after that that Isaiah was called to be a prophet and God gives Isaiah a vision of the real king who reigns, listen to this, not only over that little part, not only over Judah, but over all the nations. You know what God was saying? Yeah, Uzziah may have reigned all those years, but he's not the king. He's not the real king. There is a greater king. Listen to Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew, and one called to another and said, What we sang earlier, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And you know what happens, right? The foundations shook at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke and I said woe is me for I'm lost for I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the king the Lord of hosts let me ask you a question we've read that passage many many times at our church right that passage of holy 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 the seraphs the seraph the seraphim right all of them are worshiping who did Isaiah see? Who do you think he saw in that vision? In the temple sitting on the throne. Who do you think the angels were singing to? Whose robe was it that filled the temple that it was so long that it filled the temple? Whose glory was it that he saw? I want you to mark a verse, okay? If you haven't, if you're not in the process of in the, in the habit of taking notes or writing things down, I want you to write down John 12, 41. This is why we need to read Scripture with Scripture and not just hone in on one little section. Listen to what John's Gospel says in 12, 41. Isaiah said these things because he saw His glory and spoke of Him, meaning Jesus. Isaiah said these things because he saw His glory and spoke of Him, meaning Jesus. Isaiah saw Jesus' glory and spoke of Him. Friends, God 
is a king of all. And He has anointed His Son to be the king. The true king. Let me move on to point two. A totally different king and kingdom. Jesus is different. Completely different. Martin Luther's famous hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, talks about the mightiness and the greatness of this king. Let me mention to you what we experience. We experience presidents that stay and go, come and go. And that's what the kings of the earth are. They don't last forever. They don't reign forever. 52 years is pretty good, right? We just celebrated the life of Queen Elizabeth, who reigned many, many years. Do you realize that the great Babylon is just a memory now? People thought that that kingdom would last forever. How about centuries later, ancient Rome? They thought Rome would be invincible, but it's faded into nothing. But God's king and God's king are totally different. Psalm 145, verse 13, Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all His words. Psalm 2, verse 6, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. God Himself has established this throne and has set up His anointed one, King Jesus. The Old Testament anticipated a forever Messiah King. And it was established by God Himself. But do you see the difference? Babylon is, as I said, just a memory, right? Which of you thinks about Babylon and thinks, oh man, if only we could be like that. Faded. Rome, faded. But our God, our King, has an everlasting kingdom. What else is different? This is not like other kings and kingdoms. You know, we live in an age of evil. Do you see evil reign? Well, look at what's happening in the Ukraine. You look at what's happened over the last year and a half. Evil is the word I would use. It's pride. It's arrogance. It is someone saying, I can do it because I'm going to do it because I can. It is pure arrogance. It is evil. It is oppression. Everyone doing what's right in their own eyes. And what's happening? Chaos and conflict. Do you want to hear the opposite? Isaiah 9, 7. Of the increase of His government and of peace, there will be no end. No end to this kingdom. And it is not one of chaos and conflict. It is one of peace. Listen as we continue in Isaiah 9. He upholds it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Jesus' kingdom is not marked by chaos and conflict. Where evil prevails, it's pride, it's selfishness. This kingdom is marked by wisdom, by goodness, and God's powers. Isaiah 11, 2-5, in the Spirit of the Lord... This is speaking of the Messiah, the Anointed One. The prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 11, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon Him and the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, 
Then in verse 4, it says, But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. Verse 5, The righteous shall be, righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Friends, what kind of king do you want? You want a king that's going to stab you in the back when it's good for him? Do you want a king who is filled with goodness, justice, equity, wisdom, power? That is the difference King Jesus makes. It's a totally different king and a totally different kingdom. So I'm going to ask you practically again, what do you pray for? Do you think of the other kingdom ever? Or are you like me sometimes? We just go through life and we coast and we're like, please God, let a new president come who will change all this. Totally wrong prayer. We need to pray for the true king to come in a sinless world where everyone submits and obeys him. By the way, that's exactly what's happening in heaven. A sinless realm where His people submit and obey Him because He is the true King. He's the worthy King. How foolish for us to put our hope in man and to put our hope in earthly kingdoms or even in our own money. Third point, a totally different outcome. What's the effect of King Jesus' reign? There will be no more war. No more death, no more destruction, and He will usher in eternal peace. I want you to see this picture from Isaiah. I mentioned a lot of scriptures from Isaiah today. This new kingdom, listen to the picture that Isaiah paints for us, okay? When I read this as a child, I was kind of thinking, what is this? Like a a fairy tale? Isaiah 11, 6-9, The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's the picture of the kingdom that's going to be coming. No conflict, no fear. The lion and the lamb lying together. That is a reality that is going to come. And I want to tell you, if you're hoping in earthly kings and kingdoms, that will never happen. Do you ever think of Eden? As I was studying, I I borrowed so much from saints of the past. As I was reading, my brother Paul Moffat gave me a book of on prayer by the great St. Augustine. So I've been reading Augustine on prayer. Some of these thoughts are from him and some modern pastors as well. But listen to this. We often think of a new Eden, of Eden, the garden, the paradise place being restored. But do you realize that for God's people, it isn't just a restoration? What do I mean by that? We think of creation, fall, redemption, restoration. It's kind of a picture of what God does. 
I want you to replace that word restoration with the word consummation. This is not my brilliant thought. This came from a wonderful commentator who said, don't just think of restoration. It's not going to be the old Eden. It's going to be a more beautiful, a better Eden for the people of God. Do you remember Eden as we saw it in Genesis? The tree of life is planted in the center of the, great, of the garden. And it says in Eden the trees bore fruit in their season. Now listen to what we are told in Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and its servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. In the old Eden, we had the tree of life right in the center. In the new Eden, it says it is so vast and expanded that it's on both sides of the river. So all who are there can access it. And the fruit isn't just once in season, but every month feeding the people of God. You know what it's saying? It's the consummation where every child of God will be fed. And it's not just a fruit. The leaves are going to provide healing for everything. Do you need healing today? I bet you do. I bet there is some hurt in your life right now that you are crying over in anguish and looking for peace. This is the picture of the new reality where God will provide for everyone in His kingdom. Access for everyone. It's as the Scripture says, as the waters cover the sea, that Eden will extend to the ends of the earth. The Eden of God will extend to the ends of the earth. And healing will come for everything that is hurt and broken. This is a small glimpse of the kingdom to come. So how do we pray? How do we pray? I'm praying that you might be like me and that we stop thinking so much about us and our little kingdoms and our little worlds and start praying for God's kingdom in its full and final reign, in its fullness and in its finality when all these evil and bad things will be destroyed and put away. And we will have access to the tree of life and be fed and nourished and live with God forever. How do we pray? Pray that Jesus would come. You're scared of that, aren't you? Lord, let me just get married first. Lord, let me just do this first. Lord, let me accomplish this first. Do you know what this means? It means Jesus, come now. You know, the early church had a phrase in Greek called Maranatha. You have heard that word, right? Maranatha. It comes from passages in the Scriptures like this. 
Paul writes in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 16, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. O Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Philippians 3.20 says this, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven. Hey, I've got good news for you. You're not just a Planoite, or a Friscoite, or a Dallasite, or a Texan, in my case a New Yorker. We are citizens of another and better kingdom. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever forget that. What this all world offers is cheap and temporary, filled with evil. But you and I are citizens of heaven, and from it we await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen to this, Revelation 22, verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. And then there's that phrase again, Amen. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Do you know that when He comes, His coming is not going to be vague? What, what am I saying? For that kingdom to come, the King has to return. And when He comes, it will be personal. Everyone will witness it. It will be physical, a real person and not a ghost. It will be visible, not mysterious, but plain to see. It will be sudden, unexpectedly, and it will be glorious because it is a great and eternal king and kingdom that's coming. Take heart, my friends. He's coming back, and His kingdom is going to blow your mind for those who trust in Jesus and wait for His glorious appearing. Uh, you, you know how much I love Lord of the Rings, right? How can I not end with that scene? That beautiful movie, The Return of the King. Do you remember that scene? You know, up there on top, there's old Gandalf placing the crown on Aragorn, right? And how, how does it go? I, I had written it down. I, I don't want to get this wrong. He... He says, and now comes the days of peace. And now begins the days of peace. May you be blessed. A totally new king and a totally different kingdom. Because all that old stuff is gone and all the chaos and hurt and conflict are gone because now begins the days of peace for us. Do you pray that? I want you to pray that way. I want you to pray for God's kingdom. I want you to repent and move all over. Get off the throne and say, Lord Jesus, come. Even today, come. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would give us hearts that would be different. Help us not to dwell here, but to long for Your appearing when You will make all things right and You will bring us into a new and better Eden. Lord, we love You. Give us a vision as You've given uh, Isaiah through Your words. Lord, we long for that. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.